Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. Drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Alvey's going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzie Alvey. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com, where I have been writing since 2015 and have been part of the editorial team since 2016. That sounds about right. Um, I, I seemingly kind of get that the number of years and when actually things kind of start transitioning for me. Uh, confused quite often. Uh, if you want to follow me over on Twitter, you can follow me at Leprechaun with a K. Joining me as my co-host this evening, as often, is the great at Braves MILB on Twitter, Garrett Spain. Garrett, how are you, man? I'm a lot better now that you called me great. I appreciate that a lot. Well, you know, I have to tell at least one lie every podcast, so that's the important <laughs> thing, right? Um, so uh, obviously – Always good to talk baseball with Garrett, particularly minor league baseball. Uh, a lot of interest is not particularly on the minor league side right now, it's fair to say. Uh, aside from the fact that the Braves did win the World Series, and people were still kind of re- reminiscing upon that, and we've been, in fact, doing that reminiscing on this very podcast feed. If you want to get our kind of our thoughts on what the top uh, postseason moments from the, this past postseason run and kind of the order in which we had him, yeah, you can find Brad, Scott, and I's thoughts on the last Talking Chop podcast, which was a ton of fun. Uh, you can also, you know, make sure you listen to the Daily Hammer, make sure you listen to the show as well, all are on the same feed. Uh, Gary, I actually will pick your brain really quick. What was your top moment from the from from the postseason run period? It was there because there seems to be a popular opinion, and then. I feel like I'm like in like the, the the firmly the second tier choice, but I feel very strongly that I that where where kind of my choice was. Where, where where if you're thinking about like during the postseason run, what was the moment for you? It was Matzik closing out. The, it was Matzik striking out the side by my a man, long my, shot. Like that's my man. Yep. I I will say I great. know. Yeah. I mean, look. I if you say Jorge Soler's three run homer, you will not get an argument from me from because one that was an absolute tank. Two, it was in the clinching game, and, you know, there's everything about that moment. Like, all the different camera angles are great. The one that's, like, from the side, and you see all the, the flag, the orange towels come down immensely. It, like, killed the crowd. It, it, like, it put the game – like, it felt like the game was just over when it happened. Uh, I get it. But that – like, I'm with you. That's – I – like, again, magic, the magic moment, I think, was a firm number two for everybody. Yeah. 
accept me, and I'm like, I think it's a firm number one. Yeah, and, <laughs> so well, and that really helps do. too because it came in, in a home game too. So you but, kind of had the energy of the crowd in the moment too, and it kind of it was a really great moment. You know, the other ones that kind of jump out, the Rosario home run in the NLCS yep, yep, was a yep, huge yep, moment. Solaire leading off the World Series with the home run. It was a fun postseason, but for me, Matt's a man, that was just because it like there was this like almost hopelessness, like it's going to happen again, and then it didn't. <laughs> yep. Uh, someone uh, on Twitter actually uh, was really. um Explain that really clearly. That was the moment where Atlanta sports curse happens. Every other moment, that's where it happens. And Matzik just said nay nay, <laughs> and just handled business. In eleven pitches, struck out those guys. That blows my mind. Um, anyway, I just wanted to get your thoughts on record too, because I know that you you don't get to talk a whole lot about the major league club. Uh, you're you're down here on the minors, kind of in in the trenches with me on the on this stuff. But I kind of want to make sure we could get your record thoughts on record as well. But now, just another voice making a really strong case. For you know the the Mets, you know striking out the side being the, the biggest moment. I'm just throwing that out there, um, but obviously that was a ton of fun. We, and it's kind of fun being able to reminisce about that. Uh, before we though, for those who aren't aware, what we've been doing on the podcast this particular one of late is going down each of the minor league rosters and kind of sharing our thoughts, kind of working our way through all the positions, different guys. This allows us to both kind of go in a little bit more in depth on some of the guys that we don't necessarily get to talk about, and we also get to actually cover guys that other than in the minor league recaps. We just don't talk about all that much because there's guys that, like, just because they're not in the top 30 list or even in our honorable mentions, doesn't mean they don't have value and that they're not interesting. And this kind of allows us to kind of go through the whole roster, guys who were on the team and then moved on or, you know, got demoted, what, whatever the case may be, you know, maybe they're injured. Uh, and also just getting to talk about guys that just don't get a lot of screen time, right? And I think it's kind of important to be able to give those guys some mentions and kind of get their names out there so that people can at least be keeping their eyes out for them because a lot, things change very, very quickly on a, a year-to-year basis down the minor leagues. And, and that's not just the guys who are in the system, but it's also how each individual, each guy individually performs. Um, you know, obviously the names, there's going to be a lot of turnover between minor league free agents and all that stuff. But the more important thing is kind of like keeping an eye on the fact that like these guys can and do change our minds constantly. And, you know, again, we kind of, we like to try to do our best to kind of find the, as many of the diamonds in the rough as we can and then kind of keep an eye on them and then we'll see what happens next season and we'll go from there. Uh, but before we do that, we do have some news um, on the minor league side. And the first piece, and I think that, you know, this is a guy that Garrett and I have been covering for a long, long time. And he has been around for a long, long time. Uh, Gwinnett Stripers legend, uh, formerly Gwinnett Braves legend, Sean Kazmar, after making it to the major league, make it back to the major leagues in 2021, very, very short appearance, goes back down to Gwinnett. Father Time finally caught up with him. He certainly wasn't kind of the same productive guy in Gwinnett that he had been, and he finally decided to retire. What a career, again, mostly in the minor leagues, but that's a a guy in the minor leagues. He put together one of those careers that not only statistically was really, really strong, but also the mark that he made on a lot of the players, the prospects that came through on the teams that he was on, all the coaches, all the players sing Kaz's praises. I am. I, I just want to put my thoughts out there. I hope that he has the happiest retirement possible. Hopefully, maybe he gets to spend a little more time with his family. Uh, if he wants to decide to get into the coaching game, I guarantee you the Braves are going to be willing to at least give him that opportunity somewhere, and I'm sure he'd be a great one. Garrett, kind of share your thoughts on Kaz and you know your thoughts about him being not being in the system anymore because it's pretty surreal to me. Yeah, he's one of those. He's one of those guys that's like. 
it's hard to imagine him retiring just because he's done it for so long. And, you know, I think mostly it's kind of, it's pleasing that he kind of went out with, you know, the best moments of his career, right? He, he got back to the major leagues and for the first time in 12 years, you know, that's, it's an incredible story there to get there. You know, the team ends it with the world series. So he's going to get a ring. Like it's really, it's a great, it's a fitting end to his career. And, uh, you know, I'm glad he's able to, you know, step back. Like you said, spend time with his family and, you know, kind of decide where the rest of his career is going to go. And, and it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely great to see guys kind of, you know, make their own decision and kind of decide for themselves, Hey, I'm done. I don't want to do, you know, I'm happy with where my career is. I'm happy with what I've done. I'm going to step away now. This is the time for me. And he seemed to be, you know, he's set in his decision. He, he knows what he's doing and, uh, you know, he knows what he wants to do. And I'm, I'm really happy that he's kind of knows that he's reached the finality of his career. And there's not that doesn't seem like there's as much longing to, you know, he wants to get back out there, you know, and I'm sure there will be, you know, come spring training next year, he'll be like, man, I want to be out there, but there isn't that like, wow, I really wish I could give it another year type of thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, whatever he chooses to do with his retirement, I hope he he enjoys it. I'm kind of with you on the ring. You know, it's funny that, you know, like it's, it's, we think about things like a guy makes one appearance with the Braves and they end up getting a World Series ring. And, you know, a lot of people are like, I can't believe this guy's going to end up getting a ring, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm look, when you get a World Series, just, you know, everyone who played, give them a ring, right? Like, it, it means a ton to them. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. But I will say that the idea of, World Ca- of, of Sean Kazmar getting a ring on the year that he retires, like, warms my heart in, a like, a very fundamental way. And I'm, I'm thrilled that it, I'm thrilled for him that he, you know, again, has gotten to go out on his, on his own terms, gets to enjoy whatever he chooses to enjoy. Again, he could be into coaching and he could just, you know, just decide to be a family man or decide to move on to something else completely different. I don't, I don't have great insight as to what his plans are, but I'm really, really hope that he enjoys whatever it is because he put, he put, there, there's not a guy that put more into this game at the minor league level than him and you know that imprint that he made not just on the coaches and you know it's on those players that came through too all those teammates that just the little bits of advice about how to be a professional how to succeed you know little tips here and there all that stuff adds up over time and he was around for a long long time wish him nothing but the best and you know have a happy retirement Kaz we're gonna we're gonna miss you it's gonna be kind of wild not having you in the recaps anymore um, you know, for a lot of times when minor leagues got minor league guys retire, you know, you don't really hear about it unless someone asks like, Hey, whatever happened to that guy? And you look up like, Oh, I guess he retired. Uh, but in Kaz's case, he's gotten a lot of love, uh, a lot of attention, both from the stripers, uh, media folks, as well as, you know, the Braves and, you know, just a lot of people online. Just, I'm happy for him. I, I wish him nothing but the best. Uh, other than that new stuff, uh, we do have one other item and that is the minor league gold gloves, which is a fairly recent thing that the, that has started up and, I will say that I, I suspected three names, possibly four. Um, Braden Shoemaker was certainly a candidate, I think, for uh, at shortstop. Shea Langlers was definitely a candidate at catcher. Michael Harris was definitely a, ca- a candidate in the outfield. And Christian Pache was definitely a candidate and probably a favorite in the outfield. I will say that if you had cho- if I had to pick two guys, it would not have been the two guys that were picked. 
Um, and it's not a knock on anyone in particular. I just personally thought that Shea Langliers was a relatively straightforward pick for the gold glove at catcher. That is not what happened. Adley Reutschman did defeat him uh, for that honor, and that's not a knock on Adley. Adley's a very good defensive catcher. I don't want to take anything away from him, but that felt more like a we need a former number one pick on our on our list as opposed to of awarding the guy who's actually the best defensively. And I'll, I I firmly believe that defensively Shea Langlers is a better catcher than Adley Reutschman. Um, but the two that did win were Christian Pache, again not a crazy big surprise there, as well as Michael Harris. Uh, who gets a gold glove, has pre- performed very, very well on the outfield, really good instincts, uh, doesn't have necessarily like that, that same sort of like straight line speed or like crazy highlight reel type stuff that maybe we see from Pache from time to time, but he just, just does everything well out there. Really, again, good reads, moves back some balls well, uh, has a strong arm, just does a lot of what, good things out there. What were your kind of thoughts on the, the minor league gold glove stuff and kind of, do you feel like there were any mistakes or any guys that maybe should have gotten more consideration on the brave side? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, like you said, I mean, Lingler's probably deserved it. You know, minor league gold glove awards, it's not like, I don't guess it's that big of a deal, really. Um, you know, Pache, I mean, Pache is the best defensive outfield prospect in this minor leagues. You know, and I think that guys, you know, in a lot of situations, a guy like Pache was going to win it based on reputation alone. And I mean, if you watch him at Gwinnett this year, I mean, he was, you know, everywhere. He, he's crazy. He's ridiculously good. Um, you know, I, I do like, I do love that, you know, Harris is getting recognition. Cause, you know, I, I said it kind of at the beginning of the year that, you know, there were some questions about, you know, is he a center fielder long term or does he end up in a corner? And I think that he's, you know, he's fairly new. You know, he pitched more than he hit in high school. And so he's somewhat new to the two really playing outfield full time and, you can see the improvements that he's put in and he's turned himself, you know, into a guy that's a legitimate center fielder. And that's kind of a, it's really great. You know, his progression in center field has been one of the more impressive things that I've seen out of a young prospect on that side of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. So again, that, that's, a, that's a, I guess it's only a minor quibble I have is that I think that Shea was probably more deserving than Adley, but beyond that, like a couple really deserving defenders. Uh, Michael had a great year on both sides of the ball, you know, and, you know, Christian Pache kind of continues to show one of the reasons why folks are so excited about him because he doesn't have to hit all that much with the type of value that that guy can give defensively. If he can at least hit average, then he's going to be a really, really valuable player in the major leagues. So without further ado, Garrett, it's time to talk about the Rome Braves, a brave, a Rome Braves team that changed a lot over the course of the year. A lot of promotions that came from Augusta and through Rome to Mississippi. Uh, guys who kind of started off in Rome and end up moving their way up, uh, guys who end up getting hurt. A lot of, a lot of roster flux happens at Rome. Uh, and this is generally the case in the, low, in the lower minors. If you're going to move guys aggressively, you kind of move them out of those lower levels more aggressively than say moving a guy from double A AA to triple A or something like that. It's kind of like the low A, high A. This is where we see the most aggressive roster management. And that's what we saw this year. So we're going to talk a little bit first about the position player side, and we're going to start with catchers. Um, primarily speaking, what we saw was the catching being done by Logan Brown, at least before he was hurt, as well as Rusbar Estrada. Talk to me about this catcher, catcher's group and kind of what were your thoughts about him. Yeah, Brown, I mean, Brown of the two is, you know, the more legitimate prospect. I, I don't, you know, there was, you know, he's 24 now at high, and there was kind of, you had kind of hoped that he would hit a little bit this year. You know, 
we don't expect a ton out of Brown's bat. He's he's a defense first prospect and he's a good defender behind the plate. You know, a kind of guy that could be a a backup type in the future. And um, you know, it kind of there was maybe a hope that he would hit well enough to kind of you know push himself to double A, do something like that. And he he didn't really do that. And then obviously he ended the year hurt. He he and so it's kind of you know he's definitely you know like I said he's not a guy that we ever really saw as you know a starting type catching prospect but we hope you know you got to hope that he hits enough to kind of fold into that role of being a backup catcher at the next level and he did not do himself any favors this year it just wasn't a great season you know he struck out more than I think we were hoping you know I, I there's not a ton of power in that bat and so he does have to hit for a lot of contact he does occasionally have to draw walks and he didn't do either of those things it and so offensively, it just it wasn't a good year. And some of that is a year off of the game is hard for guys. But he did start out the season fairly hot before fading down the stretch. You know, it's unfortunate for him. And it's unfortunate that he ended his season hurt. So going into next year, it's he may end up repeating high. I would almost expect it. Of course, you know, there's not really a ton of catchers at double A either. So he could get promoted just based on his defense. Uh, and you kind of got to hope he hits a little bit again doesn't have to be even good to be enough to potentially be a third catcher type but yeah he's got to do a little bit better than he did this year Estrada is 26 and so him hitting decently at high a like yeah I hope you would do that uh he had some good – he had, you know, games here and there where he would kind of, like, go crazy with, like, three hits and a home run. You know, in general, Estrada is fine. I'm, uh, uh, he's a good depth piece, and, I, I, you know, and it's good. You know, he did well filling in for Brown down the stretch after Brown got hurt. Yeah, I mean, Estrada's certainly kind of an organizational depth piece. He's not uninteresting. He does draw a lot of walks. That certainly helps his case. It has a bit of a bit of pop in his bat. Uh, I do hope that Brown comes back from whatever his injury is, and I don't have any insight there as to kind of what that injury is. I haven't really asked around on it, to be honest. Um, but at the same time, that's something I do I do need to check on to kind of see where he's at and kind of what that injury was. Because going straight onto the the sixty day IL kind of does raise one's eyebrows a bit, and I'm sure maybe some of that's roster considerations, but there also might have been a pretty severe injury there. So we we'll kind of make sure that you know what's going on with him and kind of keep an eye on that going forward uh, moving on to infielders we have some familiar faces uh some guys who stocks rising and some who is there is not rising <laughs> to, to be fair to them um you know we have riley delgado uh von grissom was was promoted to rome late in the year from uh, from augusta and performed really really well uh you have brett langhorn who uh, you have cody milligan who the braves seem to like a lot and you have bo phillip who is a good defender and a really strong arm uh, whether or not he hits is, uh, to, I think calling that an open question is a very generous uh, <laughs> uh, description of what Bo does. Uh, did have some good games here and there, but largely was kind of a disappointing season for him based on where he was drafted. So talk to me a little bit about the infielders. Uh, I know that Vaughn's going to be the guy that kind of gets a lot of the headlines here, but let's let, run down these names and see what you think. Yeah, I think I think we'll mostly save Vaughn for, for Augusta because, you know, we got to find guys to talk about there. You know, when he came up, yeah, it's to, gonna be a rough episode. Yeah. When he yep. came up to high A, he was just—I mean, it was kind of like uh, late season, you know, last couple of weeks. Let's just give him a few weeks and let him go. And he was the best player on the team. I mean, he hit—he walked eleven times to five strikeouts, uh, and he had a 
OPS over 1100. He was insane for that week. And it's cool to see him kind of come up and be able to succeed at his age to come up and kind of make that transition again in a small sample, but make that transition well, because below a this year was not very good. So as good as he hit at that level, it was kind of a, well, let's see him against better pitching. And we saw him against better pitching and he did quite well. Uh, the definite, the, the guy beyond that, that was the most interesting was Luke Waddell. Um, he didn't play a ton of time just because he was a drafty. He didn't have a ton of time at the end of the season. And uh, he had one one week where he hit for more power than he's ever hit in his career. Yeah, he won't ever, ever again. Not again. Really. Um, nope. He had six home runs in a week, was the best player in the minor leagues for a week. I've It was absurd what he did for that week. That's not who he is. You know, he's a guy who's going to make a lot of contact. He's in the Arizona Fall League making a lot of contact now. You know, he's a guy that's not going to strike out a ton. He's going to put the ball in play a good bit you know, draw enough walks to make it work. And he's a versatile defender and he can play around the infield. And that's really good for, you know, a guy that can put the bat on the ball and play around the infield. Those guys can find roles as utility infielders, guys that can get some pinch hit at bats in the major leagues. And I, I see that as kind of, I do see him as a guy that can fill that role and do it fairly soon. He's an advanced bat. You know, I don't think, you know, with the lack of power, I don't think that this, ceiling is there for him to re- really be a you know an impact starter but I do think that you know a bench uh infielders you know a pretty good outcome for him you know beyond that you know the two big names were Delgado and uh Philip uh Philip was really bad on both sides of the ball this year yeah he wasn't like really bad at shortstop but he was worse than I expected from him he made a ton of errors out there and I was kind of He's going to have to rely on his defense if he wants to advance levels, and he did not really do that this year. Uh, he yeah, he has a crazy strong arm, but he doesn't seem to always know where it's going. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a rough year for him defensively, and uh, he's, again, raw for a college bat, and I mean, for a college player, and we don't think that he's going to hit all that well. Uh, but if he can play defense at the level that, you know, he has, he has the athleticism, he has the arm to play shortstop at a high level. And if he can do that, you know, again, that's a guy that could be, you know, a backup shortstop type in the major level. If he hits just a little bit, he didn't do any of that this year. Uh, it was pretty rough for him this year. And I, I, I don't really, he's definitely not one of the more exciting prospects. We'll just kind of have to see, you know, it, it will be a long road for him if he does make it. Uh, Delgado, uh, is, a really good defender across the infield. I mean, he plays every single position very, very well. Um, you know, again, the bat's not there. There's really no power there. Uh, he doesn't strike out a ton. He does put the ball in play a lot, but he doesn't put it in play with authority. He's not really going to hit at the major league level. The defense might be good. You know, the defense is definitely the type that you can get him to the AAA level and have him there for a few years, kind of filling up innings, moving, you know, moving around the infield. Could he be a backup shortstop at the major league level? Definitely. I mean, with the defensive ability, he could do that. I just don't know if there's enough impact to the bat to where in the bat where you say, yeah, I'll give you a bench roll. I, I don't necessarily see that from Delgado, but I do. He had a, he had moments this year where he hit, but it just overall, he just didn't hit that well this year. And it was a rough year for him. One guy that on the, the one guy on the infield that did surprise for the most part, was Cody Milligan. He strikes out a ton. You know, he's not – he's really limited to second base, and so that 
hurts his profile, but he, you know, and he doesn't have a ton of power, but he drew a lot of walks. He hit really well at the top of that lineup for a good portion this season. Uh, he really struggled late in the year. And so we'll yep. kind of have to see, you know, was that a fatigue thing or was that just kind of who Milligan is as a player? It's not really clear, but he was good earlier in the season. I want to see if, you know, he can kind of, if it was a fatigue thing, can he come out next year and put together more, a uh, more spread out time of being successful at the plate? Yeah. Uh, the Braves certainly seem to like Cody Milligan a lot. Uh, and we've, I've heard that from multiple people in the organization. Uh, but the second half was pretty rough for him. So we'll see if they can, you know, he can kind of bounce back and kind of get dialed in right again. And it, it, it's hard to tell coming, like the one thing that's going to be a common denominator for us kind of evaluating these guys is, what guys looked like after a, a functionally a lost season is so hard to evaluate. Like some guys just it, that impacted them so much, and for some guys it just didn't bother them at all. So I don't, and it's you don't want to necessarily like project out from a stat line or even what you see out of a guy based off like coming off a season where they basically didn't get to play. Um, but in Cody's case, he's a really interesting one. Uh, Bo Phillip, I mean. He's never really been that impressive his entire time in pro ball. Uh, and I, I am a little bit sad about Delgado in the sense that we kind of knew he wasn't like a, he wasn't going to be a power bat and there wasn't going to be an impact hitter. But then, you know, with his defensive profile kind of being able to play all over the infield, uh, when he was at least hitting for average, at least you could like squint your eyes and go, maybe that's a bench player. Maybe that's an interesting bench piece. But, you know, the hit tools regressed and as he's kind of gone up in level, you know, he's, the, the, the quality of pitching has certainly impacted him quite a bit. Uh, and he, again, a guy that started relatively well to the season and has not, did not look good since then. So curious to kind of see what his future is with the organization. Again, my guess is that probably he starts the year again at high A. Uh, maybe he's getting older too, which is a problem for him in the sense that he kind of needs to, you know, be moving up soon if he's going to be moving up at all. So maybe he's an older player, uh, especially without a bunch of guys in front of him, you know, for infield spots, maybe he gets moved up. Uh, and then they kind of just see what they've got with him because at the end of the day, you can only keep a guy in the minor leagues for so long. Um, you know, Von Grissom was certainly a really interesting case. You know, I thought that he should have been promoted a lot sooner than he was. So we'll kind of talk a little bit more about him during the Augusta episode. Uh, one name that we're not mentioning that did play a good chunk with Rome, but ultimately was traded was Bryce Ball, who was a guy that we were really excited about, you know, a potential big time power bat. Um, unfortunately his season before he was traded was not good. Um, <laughs> and, he did not look good after he was traded either. So I'm a little bit disappointed in that. And, you know, Brett Langhorn kind of took over the first base duties other than maybe some other guys rotating for spot starts here and there. You know, and Langhorn, again, that's just kind of a, a, a organizational depth guy who occasionally really runs into one. And it seems like that every time he did run into one, it was in a big spot. He did hit a lot of, like, walk-off homers or go-ahead homers. He also struck out a whole bunch. So, you know, and in Bryce's case, you know, I wish him nothing but the best. I, w I wish things had worked out because he's a really fascinating prospect for the Braves. But unfortunately, you know, as the as he went up in level and, you know, there was more tape on him and he was figured out a little bit more, he got eaten up. And, you know, for for now at least it seems like that, you know, that it's not a prospect that the Braves are necessarily going to be super upset that they're going to be missing out on uh, with one of those trade deadline deals. That one for Jock Peterson is where he is where he ended up going to the Cubs. So. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the outfielders really quick because this is certainly probably the most interesting part of the, the of the offensive side of the ball for the Rome Braves before we take a quick break. Uh, Jesse Franklin and Michael Harris, 
a lot of headlines moments, particularly for, for Harris for the whole season. And then for a glorious month and a half, Jesse Franklin was simply would not be denied and was hitting balls to outer space. Uh, you also had Andrew Moritz, uh, and then Drew Campbell coming in late in the season, uh, a player whose approach, frankly, disturbs me in a fundamental way. But, uh, talk to, talk to me a little bit about these outfielders and, you know, what you like about them and what you don't. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll save the big bats for a second. You know, um, there were a couple of guys on the team and Sean Michelle, um, and Andrew Moritz who were kind of somewhat yeah. interesting bats. And they just didn't hit this well. And then I hit well this year and that kind of like, there were kind of guys that were like fringe. If they have a good season, you know, maybe they push on to the top 30. They didn't do that. And they're kind of, and they've kind of pushed themselves into, you know, that's just an organizational piece. Now you're talking about Campbell. Campbell's a, <laughs> Campbell wants to hit the ball a lot. And it's, uh, he's kind of fun in like a terrifying way. No, it's not. Oh, God. It's, it's very interesting so to watch him hit. Let's just say that. Uh, he, he surprisingly doesn't strike out that much for the amount that he swings. Uh, he has a, and he has decent enough power. He's just, yeah, the approach is a problem. I, I don't think that that, I, I don't, that approach will not fly getting him to the major league level. Um, he has the athleticism to do it for sure. I mean, he has the athleticism, you know, he's decent enough defensively to be, you know, a fourth outfitter type, but the approach, if that doesn't change, he's not uh, going to go too far with that approach. He, he'll probably, you know, he, that is an approach that will get exposed very, very quickly when he makes that jump to double a, and it could get ugly if it does not turn around very quickly. On to Franklin and Harris, the guys that we really want to talk about. Franklin, I mean, was unbelievable for about a month, a month and a half there. Uh, he led the league in home runs. He led the Brave system in home runs with 24 this year. I mean, the power there is legit. He hit some balls this year, you know, out into right field, into places that, I mean, he was hitting them out in the trees in places that we have not seen left-handed bats hit them very often and he was crushing the ball this year um he's you know the question you know the problem with him is this year he struck out quite a bit he didn't draw a ton of walks and so outside of really that good month he didn't get on base a ton and so it was either hit a home run or you didn't do a whole lot and so with him it's hard to judge, you know, again, you say it's hard to judge with the last year and with him, you know, he was coming off an injury, the COVID year. He's a really, really interesting case where I think that we were really hesitant about when he struggled. It was like, it was, we were being very, very uh, generous with him because he's in a unique situation where he's even further behind than most of the other guys that we're seeing. And so he hit well as a freshman in college. So we know he can hit, you know, the capability is there to do it. Um, it's just going to be kind of, he's going to go to double A next year. And is the approach, is the issues with breaking balls, is that going to expose him? And is he going to be able to continue to produce that power, produce that power? Well, with Franklin, he's not a center fielder. He is going to be stuck in a corner outfield spot, probably left field. And so he is going to have to hit if he's going to play at the major league level. And, as long as he keeps hitting, you know, at a 30-something home run pace, he, he will find a role. It's just a matter of can he hit enough, get on base enough to 
start as a left fielder. He definitely has the potential, and he's one of our highest, most highly regarded prospects. I mean, we're probably he's probably going to come somewhere in the top twelve, probably closer to about ten or eleven. For us this year, we haven't sat down on the list yet, but I think for me, he's either eleven or twelve right now. He's a guy that we like a lot. He's just a few too many questions right now coming off of that lost season and with the lack of on-base skill so far as a professional. There's too many questions there for me to like say, you know, he's one of the top pros- you know, outfield prospects in the system. Now, if he goes to double-A next year and starts getting on base more, then all of a sudden that's a really, really good-looking prospect, even if he is stuck in a corner spot. Michael Harris – is probably the guy that we talked about most in the system all year long. And, I mean, the dude just rakes. He, like, you know, we talked about it earlier, his defense is really good in center field. He's got a ton of raw power that is not showing up in games yet. So we'll have to kind of see, you know, this year he had seven home runs, 26 doubles. You know, he only had about a 142 isolated power, which is, a bit below average for the league. I believe the league was right around 154 was league average. So he was a little bit below league average, uh, which is – he has way more power than that. And he, the way he approaches the ball, he hits a lot of ground balls. He hits a lot of line drives, which is great for his – for getting on base. And he gets on base a ton. Uh, he just he, – he hits and he hits and he hits. But it does limit his power, and you want to see – if he will start to hit for more power and start to lift the ball more consistently. But the thing that he did do this year was he adjusted on the fly with his approach. You know, early in the season, he was walking at like 3%. He was swinging. It was really bad. Yep. His approach was a real concern. It, it, it was a legitimate concern. And then, you know, right around the beginning of July, he started to make those adjustments. And, you know, from July 7th on, he walked at 12.7%. He Strikes out less than 20% of the time, which is well below league average. I think league average was about 27, 28%. I mean, he is an on-base machine. He plays great defense. And if the power comes for him, that's one of the better outfielders in baseball. I mean, the potential, the athleticism, Harris is definitely one of the most exciting players. He's raw. You know, he's 20 years old. There's a lot of development that needs to go on for him, but what he did this year was a great step for him and really kind of solidified that, yeah, this is legitimately one of the top three guys in the system and, you know, three or four guys in the system. And he's a player that the Braves can really look forward to having in their um, lineup in a few years. Yeah, there are definitely some weird things with Harris statistically this year. He finished the season with an on-base percentage of 362, which is you you take that from a minor league kid every time, right? Uh, particularly with kind of, you know, how his approach was, uh, particularly like getting victimized a little bit by pitches outside the zone. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and, you know, he kind of – it felt like that he knew that he could hit almost anything. And in a lot of cases, he was right, but he was also like swinging at some pitches he shouldn't have and putting some balls in place he should have spit on them. And – Combined for the months of April and May, he walked a total of seven times, which was a real concern for us, particularly when we were making our midseason list. We're like, is this guy going to, like, take a walk anytime soon? To come back and to lift his on-base percentage up to 362 tells you about what he realized that he had to – it's not shrinking, like, what pitches in the zone that he swings at. It's just 
just decided just to swing a lot less pitches out of the zone, take his walks. He was stealing bases this year, was stealing bases at a good clip. I don't think he's going to be like kind of a 30 or 40 stolen base guy. Uh, he sold 27 this year. And I think like, you know, like a 15 to 20 stolen bases is kind of a place where he, I think he can live comfortably. Uh, he's fast. I think he might thicken up a little bit as he's kind of trying to grow into that power and grow into that body of his. Uh, and as he gets stronger, so maybe he doesn't steal quite as many bases as he would normally, but you know, the batting practice is loud. You know, all of his home runs came out on the road, and you wonder if you know just playing at home, playing at Rome, it was just a situation where he just wasn't able to put the balls, put the ball out, uh, just based on his what his approach is. But he, there's real raw power in that bat, and as he has more and more time to kind of learn about what pitches to really turn on and try to put out, I think he's going to be a really, really exciting prospect. I think he could firmly put himself in the like top 30 prospects in all of baseball next season. Just a really, really exciting bat. And, you know, and again, we already talked about him defensively. He won a minor, he won a minor league gold glove out there in outfield. And this is like, was a fairly like short pedigree of playing in the outfield period, uh, at the, at the level, at least solely devoted to playing at, playing the position. So really, really exciting player. Uh, I, I was genuinely concerned that the on base skills were going to be a problem. And he just, you know, he just made the adjustment and figured it out and he just got the job done. You know, I, I, he's the guy for me and, you know, baseball America put their list out recently and they had him the number one prospect in the whole system. And I have to really think about that, but I, it wouldn't take much to convince me that actually that's where the spot that he belongs. He's really, really, he has a really great, a really, really good hit tool, a bunch of raw power in that bat too. You feel like there could be more coming. You like the speed, you like the def- defense, there's just a lot to like with this kid, just a lot. He just is an all-around gamer, constantly improving, constantly looking to try to figure out ways to be better. I am really, really looking forward to you. I'm, my guess is that he starts the season the double-A next year. In fact, I'd be shocked if they didn't start him at double-A. And, you know, is he, like, you know, one, you know a, sort of a transcendent prospect? Uh, he's not there yet, but I'm not going to anything – I'm not going to discount, you know – I'm not going to let him convince me that he can't do it until he doesn't do it because – this is a kid that could be really, really special. Um, yeah, he's just really, really good. So, uh, Jesse Franklin's a, a weird case where, you know, you do worry a little bit about the hit tool. Uh, he did fade quite a bit kind of down the stretch and, you know, the Arizona Fall League doesn't exactly trade him kindly either. So maybe with an offseason arrest and kind of being go back and like, you know, be able to rework what was working for him during that crazy hot streak where he was like, literally you couldn't get him out. And if you made one mistake in the strike zone, it was being parked 440 feet away. I'm very curious to kind of see how that plays out. You know, I would think that he's another guy that's heading towards double a as well. <sighs> Drew, he drives me crazy. Like even like the first game that I watched in person this year was an Augusta game where he was batting lead off. And it's just like, he had like a William, like a Williams type, like, SDO type approach where if like if anything was in within five feet of him, he swung at it and he's really good at fouling off pitches. Don't get me wrong about that, but that approach, he walked like what three times this year or something like that. Some insane number. It was like, he and he didn't walk at all in Rome where he spent like half of his plate appearances this year. I just, I don't, I, I, it's hard for me to really kind of, and he's also a guy that was hurt this year too. So it's kind of maybe you wonder if there's any lingering effects is kind of what, you know, what that impacts him going forward or anything like that. But he, he, that, that approach is super, super frustrating. You just, you know, swing at anything at his eyes. And again, good at fouling pitches off, 
But I'm not sure if that's going to work against guys who who really know how to pitch because those guys are going to get you to if they can get you to swing, it's a lot harder to square up quality breaking stuff and you know quality fastballs uh, as opposed to low A and high A guys. Well, that's all we got for the position player side. Before we take a take a look at the pitching side, where we got a lot of interesting names both on that uh, are that have passed through the system as well as the end of the season with Rome. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break to listen to a word from our sponsors. All right, Garrett, the Rome Braves pitching staff. A lot of high-quality names, uh, either end of the season here or, more importantly, were promoted either from Rome and onward or through Rome in several cases and onward. I'm going to kind of let you take the reins here, kind of like, you know, well, first we'll talk about rotation guys before we kind of get into relievers that that were interesting for us. Um, you know, names to kind of run down here. So talk to me about the guys that were rotation, both in terms of who ended up and stayed there, as well as guys who moved on to greener pastures. Man, this is a really, really good group of guys. Uh, the guy that made the most starts at the level, the guys who pitched the most innings was Darius Vines. He pitched really well at Augusta earlier in the year, got promoted, and um I'm unmuted. Yeah, I'm unmuted. Uh, and Vines. Oh, Garrett. I just had to check. Like I, I had a had a second. I was like, did I unmute? Yeah, I unmuted. But Vines pitched 14 games this year with, you know, and Vines coming into the season was a guy that we kind of had an eye on and we really didn't know what to expect out of him. And his off-speed stuff this year looked really, really good. His changeup was inconsistent, but it, it was fine. He put up a 324 ERA at Rome and, you know, the real struggle with him was when his fastball lived in the zone, it got hit hard. And going forward, you know, if he could add a couple of miles per hour to that fastball or add a little bit of spin to it and make it less hittable in the zone, that's a guy that really becomes an interesting starting pitching prospect. Right now, he's an interesting prospect. He just – there's enough of a flaw with that fastball that you – you wonder if he's going to be able to get higher level hitters out. Another guy that had that same problem was Jared Schuster, who, other than the home runs, just destroyed low A pitching, but he gave, I mean, low A hitting, but he gave up so many home runs that it really kind of, it overwhelmed what he did this year. And the changeup, no one, or I'm sorry, high A, but no one at A ball can hit a changeup. And Jared Schuster's just really, really good. And so as long as he was throwing the changeup, he was fine. It was just when he started having to break that fastball out, it could get ugly pretty quickly. Uh, and then among the guys that, you know, Schuster got promoted. Um, and then there were a few guys that made, you know, less than 10 stars, didn't spend a ton of time there. Bryce Elder um, yep, was fantastic cool. for them early in the season, 260 ERA. Earlier in the season, he was kind of, you know, a ground ball type guy and, and he was nibbling and we were kind of wondering what, how that approach would play at the upper levels. And then all of a sudden he started striking out guys and he hasn't looked back since. He, you know, he got to triple A. He's been fantastic this year. Freddie Tarnock pitched five eh, okay games at Rome and, but by the end, you could kind of tell like where his stuff was that he was, going to be fine at double A and he was. Spencer Strider had a you know had a cup of tea there. Um three games was just ridiculous and they were just like go ahead and go to double A. You know, and now and uh you can't talk about Rome without mentioning 
uh, co-owner Alan Ron Hell, uh, who was really yep. really good this year. I mean, he, he was really he had really good a really he, he had a really really good year. Three five seven ERA. Um, you know, the peripherals were good. He struck. You know, his strikeouts went a long way forward. And now some of that is, you know, he's twenty three at high A and. The year off, a lot of guys were striking out at that level, but he led the team in strikeouts, and he had a really, I mean, 95 strikeouts in 70 and two-thirds innings from a starting pitcher is a ton, you know, and his his off-speed stuff looks better. He's a guy that kind of has, I think he did enough this year at Rome where he's kind of back on the radar as, you know, a fringe prospect that could do something. It's not very likely, but there is the potential there. Um, another guy that got a few games and the, um, uh, as a starter was William Woods. He wasn't very good. You can't take too much out of it because he missed almost the entire year with an injury. And this was literally just about getting him innings. He didn't look that good. I'm not drawing any conclusions off of that because it just, there just was not enough out of him to really talk about. Yeah, uh, and coming off an injury too, where he just like, you know, he had like an elbow issue and he just, you know, he, when he was talking about like his time in the Arizona Fall League, you know, he, he's just now starting to feel like he can really let things loose. And that's a guy that has to rely on really being able to let that fastball loose when it's t- touching triple digits. If you're like holding back a little bit, all of a sudden you can be a little more ordinary, uh, particularly with maybe some command issues with Rust. So in Wood's case, you know, we need to see more out of him. Uh, hopefully he kind of continues to progress and maybe can reach the major leagues relatively quickly. I still think he's a reliever. Uh, I was pretty shocked that they were trying him out as a starter, but for right now, if they want to try, that's fine. But overall, I think that he's a guy that could get uh, a lot of attention, uh, especially in the shorter stints. You know, what can you say about Bryce Elder? He had a fantastic season. Darius Fides, I'm with you on the fastball. It's, you know, it's a very, very ordinary pitch. Uh, I love the secondaries from Vines, and he does seem to know how to pitch. I, I would love to see kind of him get into like a driveline type program just to be able to get another tick on that fastball. I don't think it would require, you know, him to throw another five miles an hour faster. I think just another, another tick allows that, that change up in his breaking ball. It would all play off that much better. It's a lot harder to time him up. You know, if you get a guy who like thinks that you're going to be, you've been throwing him a day, steady dose of those secondaries and you can come in there with a fastball that can actually challenge a good hitter, then that's a really exciting pitching prospect to me. Um, beyond that, you know, <laughs> that being look, Spencer Strider wasn't there very long, uh, but when he was there, he, he was he was special everywhere he went. You know, the guy just throws absolute gas. And he, again, the guy came, came off not throwing very much the pre, the previous couple of years, and you know, to be able to, to kind of start the season the way he did in Augusta, where he blew our minds about how hard he was throwing and how good he looked and then you just he rocketed us up through the system made his way all to the made his way all the way to the major leagues this year uh what what his role is going forward he was a starter all the way up until he got to Gwinnett and then they put him in the bullpen and then he made it to the major league bullpen almost made the postseason start uh the postseason roster didn't quite make it couldn't quite convince them to pull the trigger on that which is completely understandable but this is a really really fun kind of pitching staff to watch evolve and you know Alan Renhell you know, look, he, he, the, the secondaries looked better and he started really leaning on them too. It wasn't a, the, the stuff looked good. It looked real. Uh, when he got the double A, he had a good season. He had a good, he did a good job largely there as well. You know, I, I hope that he does well. You know, for a while, it's funny. He was kind of a meme for us because, uh, if for no other reason that Wayne Cavati seemed to, seemingly every time he was visiting Rome, 
it was an Allen Ron Hell start. Just that's when he was able to get up there. It was and every time he was on recap duty, it was an Allen Ron Hell start. Uh, and to kind of see him spend all that time in Rome for what he was, and it kind of surprises me every time how young he still is. He's been around for a long time, but he still actually seemingly has some years where he could like continue to convince folks to, you know, maybe he can be a starting pitching prospect of note. But the stuff was the the, the tuck up in the stuff was real. The strikeouts were a, a very nice, uh, I guess, the nice development. He certainly had games in the past where he'd struck out some guys, but largely he wasn't that guy. So it was nice to see him kind of put together a pretty complete season where he was kind of, he was that guy. He was striking out guys on a regular clip. And, you know, if you can do that, if you can miss bats, you know, sure, we're talking about high A and, you know, he's going to have to do that against more advanced hitters with some consistency. But, you know, to say that, you know, <laughs> if you told me that Ron, Ron, Alan Ron Hell was going to be pitching his way to double A and, you know, finding success, I wouldn't have guessed that at the beginning of the season, which is why exactly why we want to make sure we kind of keep tabs on everybody in the hopes that maybe that they will be able to continue to surprise us uh, because we love those sorts of stories. All right, Garrett, let's wrap this thing up with the relievers. You kind of just run down the guys that, you know, you know, that have kind of surprised us or caught our attention this year. And then we'll wrap this thing up. Well, you have to start with Indigo Diaz. We spent most of his year at Rome and yep. was just the best pitcher in, you know, the best reliever in the minor leagues. He's drug out 54 guys in 27 innings and, I mean, that's all you got to say right there. That's just insane. There, I mean, there were times where he was just toying with guys. It, it was not a fair situation. Um, you know, other relievers that were interesting were um, Jake Higginbottom coming off of an injury. Pitched really, really well for them. You know, he's an older guy. He hasn't done very well in the fall league. So you got to wonder if that was just him beating up on lower competition. But when he was at high, he was fantastic. He's a guy that worked hopeful, might be able to come back, you know, and make a mineral labor out of himself. It's got to kind of happen now, but, you know, got to start happening next year. But he did reasonably well. Um, Trey Riley had a bounce back season. You know, he was really pretty bad for – he was very bad when he first came up to the system. And yep. this year he was decent. You know, the strikeout numbers aren't great, and I think that he needs to strike out more batters to – you know, be able to live at the next level, but he didn't have, he didn't just walk the world like he had in the past. And that is a positive progression for him. And, you know, the stuff is legitimate, is legit. I have my questions about his delivery, whether he'll stay healthy, how well he can live in the zone and get swings and misses. But the stuff has the potential to work if it all comes together for him. Um, a couple other guys that had great seasons. Justin Yeager had a great season after get called up, getting called up late in the year. He has yep, he was a good. ton. He had a ton. Has a ton of command problems. That's a major, major concern with him. But this, you know, the fast, the arm is live. You know, the, there's potential there. Um, Zach Daniels had a really good year. Uh, not the best peripherals. He just didn't seem to give up very hard contact ever. And so he had a really, really good year for them. Uh, he spent the whole year down there. Um, so we'll kind of, you know, see, you know, and he's 24, so that's kind of, you know, when a guy at that age spends a whole year at high A, even when he's having success, that usually indicates that the team is not really expecting a ton out of him. So, you know, him spending the whole year there is a bit of a red flag, but 
performance wise, he had a great season and, you know, we'll kind of, I assume he'll start at double A next season. And if he can put up a good year at double A, then you really start to talk about him as a guy that can be a middle reliever going down the road. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, one name that I kind of want to mention uh, as a guy who ultimately didn't uh, finish the season with the organization is Casey Kallick. Uh he, he was a guy who was pitching really well, coming off a pretty severe wrist surgery uh, and, you know, rebuilt his value enough uh, as a late inning guy for Rome that the Royals really, really wanted him, which resulted in Jorge Soler being a part of the Braves organization as that he was the he was the prospect that was traded to the Royals uh, to get Solaire into the system. You know, didn't pitch quite as well uh, in the Royals system, but at the same time, you know, for a guy who's coming off a really pretty severe uh, wrist surgery the way he what he did, he kind of showed out a good bit. Uh, I still think that Trey Riley has a real chance to be – just the stuff, it looks like a major league arm to me, but – he only had so much time, but I will say this is a really nice back, bounce back uh, year for him. Uh, also, shout out to uh, Dylan Spain, who ended the year uh, at the uh, with the Rome Braves. Did make a ton of appearances this year, but did not give up an earned run in the in his debut season as a pro. Uh, a guy who was coming like a, a D D two Hawaii school that. You know, he didn't even, he wasn't even on the team for the year that he was drafted. He just showed up to an open tryout and, you know, blew the doors off the joint and the Braves took a chance on him and it looks like they might actually have a real, a real relief prospect there. You know, Zach, Zach Daniels had a good year. Really, really kind of excited. Justin Yeager's a guy who, again, the stuff looks really, really good. Uh, certainly when things get away from him, they really get away from him. He has a bit of a wild thing aspect to him. But, you know, and like Davis Schwab's like a live arm, even though he doesn't seem to always know where it's going. Coleman Huntley actually was, you know, striking out a fair number of guys as well. Really, really interesting kind of relief pedigree and prospects that we saw in Rome. You know, obviously the guys that had the best pedigree moved on relatively quickly. Indigo Diaz being chief among them, he should have been promoted a lot. Uh, sooner than he what than it took to actually get him uh, promoted. I'm very curious as to what he looks next year though, because post COVID did not look good. And the, you know, Arizona Fall League wasn't, hasn't been particularly kind either. So I'm a little bit curious as to kind of what he looks like next year, but he looks like a guy who could be really, really interesting as a relief prospect, possibly for the Braves even going as like soon as next year. So we'll see how that goes. Um, that's pretty much it guys. That's going to goes us through the Rome Braves roster for 2021. Uh, Garrett, do you have any closing thoughts before we let everyone go? Nope. I am good to go. All right. We appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to us yet again to talk about the minor league baseball. We are doing a minor league player review series. Uh, that is kind of an ongoing process. We're boasting basically once a day, one a day going through, I would say it's going to be a list of around 40 or so prospects that we're going to be going up over the course of the next few weeks where we kind of just do a little bit of a, hey, this is how we've, they've done since we put them on our prospect list or since we've talked about them last, guys who have kind of put themselves on our radar since we've made our prospect list. That's kind of what those lists, these guys are as we're kind of adding them, uh, to, at the, as we're kind of putting out these reviews, uh, that we're about, I want to say probably a third of a way through what we, uh, what we have planned, uh, on the site already. So make sure you go check those out, the ones that you've missed and keep an eye out for on talkingchop.com for those, again, those kind of those daily player review rollouts, uh, not just on the major league, minor league side. There's also major league, com player reviews happening as well. We're kind of going through the guys who, didn't play a whole lot or weren't particularly interesting uh, to start with. And then we're going to kind of get into the roster nitty gritty uh, 
probably in the next week or so. We can start seeing a lot of guys who are really key pieces of the World Series run. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to make sure you never miss an episode of the podcast, make sure you search Talking Chop on whatever podcast purveyor you you choose, whether it's Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those. If you search Talking Chop, not only will you get this podcast, you will also get the Talking Chop flagship program hosted by the great Brad Roland, as well as sometimes myself. Uh, and then you also get the Daily Hammer hosted by the great Sean Coleman, who's been doing a great job with the kind of a daily sort of, I mean, the off-season's going to be more kind of an every other day type of thing with the Hammer. Uh, but that's kind of like a general newsy type podcast where, you know, 15 or 20 minutes while you're running into work, you can listen up, get caught up on your Braves news. He's been doing a great job with that. The support on the podcast and on the site over the last few weeks has been amazing. We really appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you all so much, and until next time, we'll see you on the road.